0: Hey, TPNers, Joe here. I'm one of the new uh, podcast correspondents here at TPN, and today I'm here with one of the founders, Mr. Adam Yuhan.
1: Hello, Joe. How's it going, Adam? It's going fantastic. I've been looking forward to doing this with you for a while, so it's kind of fun that we finally get to chat about like industry news and stuff like that, other than trying to plan for TPNX.
0: Likewise, yeah. it's uh, We haven't had much of a chance to catch up since TPNX, but it uh, it was a lot of fun and glad to be here talking about some uh, current events. The one that we're going to start with today is uh, the age 67 rule. Most of you know about the age 65 rule, uh, mandatory retirement age for all airline pilots in the US is age 65. Back in 2007, it went from 62, 65, had a pretty profound impact on this industry and on pilots. A lot of our friends and colleagues were um, negatively impacted, some yeah. of them positively, I suppose. Yep. Yeah, sure. But uh, with all of the events going on in the world today, cancellations, delays, pilot shortages, ATC shortages, all of this stuff, we're looking at possibly raising the age from 65 to 67. I'm sure everybody has thoughts on it, Adam. What are what are some of your first thoughts on the issue? Well,
1: you know the f- funny part about this whole thing is, I I haven't really gotten in deep. I mean, obviously, I've seen the blurbs. You know, I've seen emails from Alpa or email, you know, just like posts on on pilot forums and whatnot about the bump from 65 to 67. And it, I guess, it makes me think a little bit more about the 60. Two sixty-five change that occurred and what happened, and I always thought that the sixty to sixty-five thing was a can kick. You know what I mean? Like it was just a way to go. Oh well, because the same, it wasn't the same thing that was happening at that time, but there was some, I guess, parallels. If you were, yeah, history is not repeating, but it, it definitely has a. What do they say? It's got a uh, parallel echoes. echoes, Yeah. 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 And it definitely, the echo is there, right? So uh, the way I, the way I guess I look at this without having as much information and knowledge as, uh, I should about this topic is this is a chance for the FAA to give the airlines a little bit of grace right now and get people who are already qualified who've been around for a while and can fly airplanes, continue to fly airplanes to dampen the blow of this uh, pilot shortage, which I think for the first time in my time in the industry and most pilots I've heard is that this is actually a no kidding, this is for real. Like all the other pilot shortages we've ever heard of were all uh, faux pilot shortages, but this one is the real deal. And we saw this coming, I mean, right? Like pilot production had dropped years prior. Covid hits, early retirements. You're left with this Darth of young aviators who want to make money out of the career field. So, to me, I wouldn't call this. Uh, this is a, a grace for the airlines from the FAA. It's maybe a bit of a, a little bit of a kick in the can. But I think my bigger thing is, and this is, let's put it this way, I wish it was still sixty because it would my I'd be in a much better position. But the reality. It, of it is, and I've always felt this way. So I, I, I don't, my, my I guess you could say I have a very um, rational thought process. I don't want it to go to 67. I don't even want it to be 65. I don't even want to fly till I'm 60. I want to be out much earlier than that if I can be <laughs> um, or, or working part time uh, at the airline, but I don't want to be flying 85 hour block months when I'm 64 years old. I just don't want to do that. Uh, I hope to put myself in a financial position where I won't have to do that. With that said, I don't understand or feel that is, it is legal or ethical to deny a pilot who is medically qualified to fly for as long as they want. Now, there is a lot to unpack there because you have possibly unscrupulous AMEs who are going to pass people uh, on their physicals that shouldn't be flying You have folks who may not disclose medical information. Um, You have folks who may just use this as an opportunity to, at 65, pull the plug by doing long-term disability for the last two years. So there are a lot of um, factors to it that way. But the reality is, is if you're medically able to continue to fly, why are you not sitting in a seat until you're, I don't know, in your seventies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, that's, I mean, there's, it's kind of my there's couple thoughts.
0: interesting things there. Yeah. There's a couple interesting things there because all of the stuff that you listed is valid. And it's also true that all of that stuff applies to people who aren't at retirement age, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, the AMEs and people not reporting medical stuff, all that stuff can happen at any age really. Um, and right now there are ways that people can fly past the age of 65, just not at the airlines yeah. because, you know, uh Let's just be frank. the The general public is not as concerned with the safety of people flying around in private jets. They just aren't. Yeah, um, true. And so the the numbers don't don't uh, provide political pressure. And that's one of the things that we're seeing right now. Um, you know, with, for instance, Senator Lindsey Graham, basically looking to introduce potentially introduce legislation to to force this. This issue as a possible solution to what's going on Did, so
1: okay well jumping in right there so as a political aspect of this uh with a with a bill being introduced to legislate to the faa 65 to 67 how fast can that turn around and i mean in your opinion like i mean you're talking to a guy who majored in poli-sci 20 years ago and my memories of it are uh I, let's put it this way i major in civics I majored in political science which is possibly even more useless than a civics degree would have been. But with that said, like, how fast can you turn this legislation around? And why can't this be an FAA wipe of the pen is what I, I guess I don't understand that.
0: Well, that's a great question. And and, and I know even less about this than you do, because I wasn't a poli-sci major, <laughs> but, but I was roommates with one, but uh, <laughs> so I'm even one more degree removed, so to speak. But uh, anyway, I think that uh probably the answer to that question is just where is the pressure coming from and who's it going to is there really pressure on the FAA to do this or is there pressure on the FAA to not do this mm-hmm. in a lot of ways I think you could argue that um if the FAA, if the FAA does this and it and first something happens in a negative way oh uh, yeah you know they they could face negative pressure on the backside whereas right now there's There might be political pressure on congress to do something about the stuff that's being seen on the news all day
1: every day so i
0: think that may be driving the potential political nature almost a a
1: a liability thing for the faa to and and bureaucratics red tape and, and bureaucrats by and large like to stay as far away from liability as possible in my very rudimentary understanding of Government bureaucracy. Even though I've been in a government agency for quite a long time in my career, uh, I, I think so. If I were to be a betting man, I would bet that this would pass pretty easily. And in, in my, I'm just betting. I like I. I've fully assumed that this will become reality. I think so. Um i also think that this isn't 1974 anymore where we have far better medical capabilities and long-term care people for what it's worth and in maybe half the population is taking far better care of themselves and understands their bodies better than they did years ago and the other half are not and that's just pilots alone i mean flown with some guys that you've seen in the past that you go, hey, you'll be lucky if you're walking around at 50, let alone. At
0: at a minimum, people understand when they're not taking care of themselves. Yeah, okay, yeah, sure.
1: (laughs) Fair enough, I fair enough. Yeah, weekend benders aside, um, I agree with there. So I think if this is the new reality, the effect on the pilot population on a whole is not going to be as great as i think most people fear one is i believe a lot of people are leaving no matter what it doesn't matter 67 65 63 people are going to leave especially if they're set up financially Mm -hmm. the only way they're going to stay is to because they enjoy the the job i mean let's face it it's a pretty awesome profession it's a pretty cool job that if you're enjoying what you're doing you there's a good chance you're going to stick it out you're going to stick around Uh, and i i begrudge knowing that like i said i'm cool if you pass your medical you can go as long as you want like i i think that if this is the probably one of the most biggest age discrimination rules that are out there uh because we have some sort of actuarial table that says and who knows if that actuarial table has been updated by the faa and all that kind of stuff that that you know 65 is healthier than 67 or whatever. You're going to have a heart attack at 66 and a half. I don't, I don't know. I'm right. an actuarial scientist, but like if, if people think that this is going to all of a sudden fix the issue, I, I don't, I don't see that happening. I, I just, I, it doesn't make sense to me that, there, yes, there are a lot of retirements, but there were also a lot of people, for instance, at uh, Delta American and United, and I'll just pick those three because that's the ones I probably know the most about who took the early out opportunity.
0: Right.
1: Right. So if they took an early out opportunity and you already got rid of a bunch of folks that were pushing up on the 65 age, how are you going to fix it? Also demand rocketed past where they thought it was going to be. I mean, domestic demand thought I read something the other day. And again, I'm, you know, I'm completely pulling this out of my ass, but like I thought the domestic demand was higher than it was in 2000. It's, to 2019 level or just slightly above it's the international side that has not yet fully come back because of uh, countries like China are, you know, so closed off and there's limited access to that country. And uh, Europe is almost full back, back to full swing, but there's other places that just aren't yet. And that's where you're seeing the slight differing of numbers. And when that goes back to full, full blast, your numbers are going to be higher. If you're looking at the TSA numbers passing through the TSA, Gonna be higher than they were in 2019. So if that's the case, what are you, you're talking what a thousand pilots a year across the three majors, maybe 1500 across the seven big carriers in the United States. And then maybe you're talking what another, maybe 1800 total across all major, major carriers in the United States. And then where's your big problem? Anyways, it's the regional carriers. That's right. their biggest issue, right. where yeah. you have the least amount of future 65 to 67 year old retirees anyways. So who cares? And right. you're just gonna hire more regional pilots who are gonna sit longer and lower on a seniority list for two more years. And now you're gonna have even a bigger problem. So I think the airlines, in my in my mind, it's short-sighted, but I also understand, and for as much as I agree or disagree with it, it doesn't even matter is you have a board of directors that you have, to, uh, you have to placate and make them happy and make their returns bigger on their stock options or whatever, however they get paid out. And the best way to do that is to reduce the bottom-line impact of the major carrier. And the easiest way to do that is to move this age to 67. But, again, it's only going to help you in the very short term and maybe not even in the short term term as much as you think it will. So, I don't know. I think that's like, it's a long winded answer to a short question, but that's kind of-
0: I I think you're absolutely right in the the short term nature of this really cannot be overstated. I mean, your point about, you know, a, a corporate board making decisions based on share price and things, those are all short term decisions. And, you know, I remember listening to Tim Ferriss one time and, you know, he's, he's big on incentives. And if you expect somebody trying to, you know, have a good earnings call this quarter to think about where we're going in 20 years, it's probably naive of, of us to think that they might yeah. do that. Yeah. So we just have to acknowledge what, what game is being played. And when we're talking about publicly owned companies, uh, publicly traded companies, that's really what we're talking about. It's a short, it's, it's a lot of, it's, it's, a lot of iterations of short term games over and over again. Do you think hopefully with some long term planning going on behind you, the
1: scenes? do you think that this will mitigate stuff in a even in the short term? Do you think there's gonna be do you think like let's say six seven got past tomorrow? Do you think that all of a sudden our flight schedules are gonna be impacted at such a level that you're gonna see crew availability rocket upwards? for the duration of the summer?
0: Yeah, I can't really imagine that happening because at best case scenario, this is a dampening effect, this whole idea. Um, maybe it's the right thing to do. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do, but if we're gonna do it, let's acknowledge what it is. It's a dampening effect. Best case scenario, it shifts things to the right by two years. Um, but if you look at how many retirements there are gonna be over the next, mandatory retirements there are gonna be, over the next uh, 10 years. I mean, it's it's staggering as we all know. And so it's a dampening effect. And then there's growth in the industry that Mm -hmm. we're not even accounting for. The industry is growing on top of the retirement issue. So now the dampening effect that this measure might have is gonna be itself dampened by exactly what you said. A lot of the folks who were set to retire Took early outs and they didn't do so begrudgingly. They said, All right, man, I'm going. And they left and they're happy and they're out living their lives now. Yeah. Um, I know that there's been some talk about incentivizing people to come back. Return. I don't know if that's actually going to
1: happen. Return to work. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, here. Okay. So <laughs> I thought about the return to work thing. What's the difference between bringing back somebody who retired two years ago and hiring somebody brand new? Their pay rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. Like I mean, seriously, there's no difference. You're you're you still have to go through I guess you don't have to go through 2 weeks in doc and that's maybe, about yeah. it. Yeah, maybe that's it, but you still have to go get retrained on your airplane. Maybe I believe there's the 36 month rule for the FAA, so maybe you can go through a short course, so maybe it's slightly shortened up, but still you you have to go through an OE uh process. So they still have to get online and they still have to Absorb a line check airman for even a minimal amount of time. So I guess maybe you're you're going to do a little bit, but like I, it, like you said, it's just a dampening effect. It's not really going to change anything in the long term. I think, um, and this is a hard topic to discuss, or a hard topic to wrap your head around for those who are you know, just starting out uh, in in the industry is the and you nailed it with the Tim Ferris. Uh, statement about uh, incentivization is if you don't have an incentive to continue to progress or whatever, then there's no reason to do so or stick around or blah, blah, blah. And all these new regional contracts that have these giant pay rate jumps that are temporary are doing the same exact thing that the 67 is. And I think... For better or worse, well, th- this to me is for a wor- for worse. I, I cannot, I've tried to find a way to make this better in my mind and I just can't do it. I am looking at the airline industry and they are acting as though uh, in my mind that it's 1999 and not 2022. Mm-hmm. And and the reason I say this is when you look at the industry in a whole, if we were trying to get younger people into aviation and fired up to stay at a company forever which by the way for those of you don't know this you pretty much are locked in the place you're going to be at when you get hired there after about two and a half three years so i I hate to tell you that like if you have a dream of going to southwest for five years and then moving over to fedex it ain't going to happen and the reason it ain't going to happen is because you're not going to want to leave and not because you don't necessarily want to go to the other place it's because you are going to have too much to lose and to restart again. This is the hardest industry to restart in. And it's that I, that I mean, I shouldn't say the hardest. I, I don't know what else is out there, but in, in, in my take on it, I, cause I went through this. Like I thought about, I thought about what if I left to go somewhere else at like year two. And I already had like 2000 people put underneath me at the seniority list. And when I looked at it, it was like, dude, that's, I, I can't, I can't leave, so you're locked in. Like you're locked in. It's the way. It's the way a seniority works. It's that is truly for better or worse. Uh, with that, with that all said, and that discussion kind of put to bed. When we try to incentivize these younger folks to to sign on the dotted line and become an airline pilot for life at X Y Z airline, the the all the all the things that have happened over time have destroyed the faith in that process. And uh, wholly owned subsidiaries going under that had flow through yes. rights. Uh, flow through rights not being honored, uh, recession happening and flow back occurring. Um, uh, flow through rights where you uh, you cannot go outside of the flow to get hired faster uh, because right. you, you've, you've achieved more in your career from the person who sat there and didn't fly very much or didn't upgrade and they have a higher flow-through than you, and you might now have more PIC and more to offer to the next airline. Uh, so they go outside of that, and they get hired by a different airline. So when you burn all those bridges, um, and I'm not saying that those were avoidable. They, they might have been. I don't know enough about them to say whether they were avoidable or not. But with that said, when you lose that faith, and people share that word, it's really hard for folks to get excited about the fact that I want to get in this industry. I mean, when people leave out of the regionals, it's almost, they never, they, when they leave, they don't come back. Like if they leave for, for a, for a gripe or, or, or they are pained by the airline industry, they normally don't come back. That's correct. Um, that, I mean, it, and those are all anecdotal, but when you see enough of them, it makes sense. And I think for me, when I look at that is, so if we're going to if we're going to build that process correctly we have to fix that and that I don't. I don't know how to fix it. I mean, I have. I have some like wild, outlandish ideas. TPN could right. fix it. We could be the the pilots' guild. We could have all the <laughs> all the airline unions under our guild, and and then we can all come up with the most kumbaya, beautiful decisions that brings everybody. Blah blah blah. I but,
0: think with the way TPNX went, that's a great idea. I think. Uh, I'll float. Man, it was a smash hit. So yeah. let's just keep it rolling. Yeah, you we'll know?
1: we'll float that to the VP of flight ops at a few places, and then the CEOs will just go, <laughs> "Yes, that's what we should do." But when you, so when you, when you process all that information and you look at the scope of the issue, 67 is not going to change. It's not going to move the needle enough to affect the passengers. And then here's the other thing. When you hear these CEOs come on, they don't say pilot shortage. I mean, they have here and there, but what they say is staffing shortage. Yes, sir. And when they say staffing shortage in your mind, what do you think?
0: I think about rolling up to a gate and saying, where are the rampers? That's what I think about. Yep, yep. And I, I don't know about you, but.
1: Uh, my my thing is it. when you call scheduling and you're on hold for an hour and 45 minutes. Yes, sir. <laughs> that's staffing shortage. <laughs> that's so right. you can hire. It's you, you can hire as many pilots as you want. You I, I liken it to uh, um, you can be a, a three point shooter in the NBA and you can shoot out. of You can fire as many three pointers as you want at the hoop. And you may make one percent of them, but if you shoot five hundred threes, you had a hell of a night. Now, the rea- well you really didn't. You still—you only hit five. But what the deal is—is is you can sh- you could shoot out of this, or you can be as uh, uh, Packer fans as some of us are around these parts. <clears throat> you can be Aaron Rodgers with MVP talent, all the skill set, all the knowledge. If you look at all of his assets on the field and think of them as the pilot force, you have all the pilots you need, but when you don't have any supporting cast around you, you don't win super bowls. That's right. And the way I look at it right now is that's the problem, the bigger issue and the issue that they can't fix. And, and, and and it's because again, the airlines let a lot of people go, but they let all the knowledge go. They let all the corporate knowledge go. They let all the people mm-hmm. who could go do other things leave. It's just like the mil- this happened in the military in the 90s. It happened again in the 2000s. People leave, and when they leave, they tend to be the people who can go do other stuff. They tend to have multifaceted approaches to life. They tend to be talented. They're not, when, they're, when they're not fired and they're, they're allowed the opportunity to leave with a severance package, they go out and do other things with their career.
0: All the diverse skill sets yes. walk out the door. Yes,
1: your corporate knowledge, your and if you have that group of people and they're gone, you may get a bunch of super hyper-talented people that come over and take jobs, but it doesn't matter. If they have to be trained for eight weeks or two months or six months or whatever the case is, they still don't have any experience. And in scheduling, uh, operation centers, customer call care centers, like IT departments, Yeah. Aviation is different than running a Starbucks. It just is. And I'm not saying that that's not a hard job, too, because, man, I've worked in fast food and it sucked and it was challenging. Yep. But it's a one small operation. When you're running a giant operation that counts on all the rest of the operation working together in in synchronous orbit, it changes things, man. And when you have a sports staff that's no longer capable of doing their jobs because they're not given the tools, uh, they don't have the knowledge base because their their trainers have all left. All the smart people are gone. All the I shouldn't say smart. All the experienced people are gone. That's where you start to run into the problem. To me, that's the bigger issue. If if you had five thousand more pilots dropped on the map tomorrow, you would see a short term relief of the problem. Mm. In my that's mind, a
0: re- that's a really interesting sort of hypothetical psychological experiment yeah
1: but but in the long term you would see no change to how the the, the long term effect you would see a a, a distinct drop off on issues momentarily canceling right. can, the only thing people care about cancellations right now that's the number 1 topic right so that's what passengers are complaining about that's what twitter blows up about when when they you know mention a major carrier like you know one of the celebrities talks about getting screwed over or whatever right but the reality is is in the long term the airline's not going to run better you just have more you got more of you got more of the one good thing but all the support structure around them isn't doing anything to to get them there so you're you're still going to have
0: the oil but you still have no transmission boom Yeah.
1: yeah you nailed it perfect you don't without all that other stuff going on how are you getting pilots to the hotel. You're still going to have issues with flight attendants. You're still going to, I mean, that happens all the time. People don't talk about the flight attendant, when they say crew, it's not pilots, it's all of them on board. And when you have flight, when you don't have enough flight attendants, you can't operate. Uh, I, I read, uh, for instance, about, uh, one of the major carriers canceling a flight, they had a full crew, everything was good to go. And they canceled the flight because, um, the morning go of that airplane, was more important the the morning flight from a, to one, from one destination from one location to another was more important than the location that they're flying to that night. Yikes! So just a straight so when you have that situation, yes, you will see a again a dampening effect, a short term relief valve, but relief valves only work to a certain point. Finally, the system will overpressurize and blow, and that's. I don't think more pilots are going to solve that issue, whether they're 67 or, or 27. I think yeah. more pilots accompanied with better IT, more experienced in uh, rampers, more experienced personnel at the call centers for whether it's scheduling, the operation centers, the the customer care, all that stuff. I think when you... Bring all that in. Now you're going to start seeing a real change to the system, and I don't know if they're there. I don't know if they can be. I don't even know if they have the capability, because I don't know if people want to even go to work. That's a whole different yeah. topic. Yeah, I don't even want to different. Yeah,
0: but it t- it touches though. It touches on this whole thing, and you know, it's an interesting point that you bring up because, you know, in theory, somebody you would think, although there's sort of like that theory, like no one person actually knows how to build a pencil. It's just like everybody knows a little. I'm sure you've heard this. Idea where you know nobody knows how to build a pencil. It's no, just like I, somebody knows how to chop down the tree. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. To... That's
1: yeah. Sure. I, and, I've never. So, I've never heard the pencil being used in that model, but I love it. Yeah. It's.
0: But so let's make the assumption that somebody at any airline knows how to make the pencil. They know how many people they need to run an operation. Okay. And so they know how many people need to be in this department scheduling. They need to know how many, or they know how many rampers need to be at any given station based on the number of departures. They know how many pilots, flight attendants, airplanes, all this stuff, mechanics they need. Well, then really the where you modulate is the schedule, the flight schedule, which is what we're seeing right now. Airlines are paring down their summer schedules to match the staffing that they have. Yes, they are. And so what you're speaking to is resource management. If you have X number of Pilots, in order to staff an operation that is so big, if if we kind of know based on how many crew members we have, what kind of operation we can run, then we optimize that by running an efficient operation, which means having knowledgeable people in scheduling, yeah, and, uh, station operations, and all those things that you touched on.
1: So, and you you as you go along that thought process, what happens when your airline says well or they think they're appropriately staffed but the reality is is do they even know what that number is or were you getting at that when you were talking about maybe they think this is somebody many pilots they need but they don't really know
0: well and that's you know so I was making in an, an assumption up front right that somebody in the organization knows that ratio that number and sure w- the reality is that it's at least a moving target if yeah. if
1: Or it's a range. Yeah, or or if it even is a range or a target at all. And it's, how do you know? Like, wouldn't you have to know? You'd have to have all your support structures in place operating at 100% efficiency. Because let's face it, if you have, let's say you have an airline with 100 pilots and you have, I don't know, 20 schedulers. Okay, that work 24 hour schedule, you know, and they have their shifts, their times off, whatever. However, it's all vacations, they, they have X amount of sick coverage, whatever. Wouldn't you need to know how many schedulers that you have employed and the actual metrics of, okay, we can look back and for the last 20 years on Monday through Thursday, Uh, sick calls are at 3% or whatever. And on Friday through Mm -hmm. Sunday, sick calls are at 6%, whatever those numbers are. So you have this metric that you can look back on. So you can like gauge roughly because the flight operation is as, unless it's VFR across the country, you have all these other mitigating factors in there, right? You have weather, you have ATC. You have individual city issues, individual airport logistical tremendous issues. Tremendous unpredictability. Yes, exactly. So yeah. you, you summed it up with two words where it takes me 55 to say the same thing. I dig it. You, you the man, Joe. So like, <laughs> if you're going to do that, wouldn't you want to go to your predictable thing first and go, okay, let's build this infrastructure so robustly that when we get to this tremendous, un- tremendously unpredictable side of the house, we can overstaff because we know we're going to need it. We know we're going to need it because we don't know where people are going to get stuck out. We don't, we, yes, we have a sick call metric, but that sick call metric may have changed. We lost, you know, 500 pilots to early retirement or or whatever the case is. And we don't know what that's going to look like now. We're, we're rebounding from the, the something that's never happened in the industry before to the point, And as fast as we did rebound, we, we didn't, we didn't know what the next phase was so i i've always been a big believer in over overcompensate in the areas that you know that you that are predictable because then the unpredictable is uh is easy to mitigate i let me say i know that i don't always do it for instance i know that my daughter will drink as much milk as humanly possible all day long if we would give her a gallon of her own milk a day, she would just stick a straw in it and walk around with a gallon of milk, right? <laughs> and my wife- A good Midwestern girl. Yeah, right, she's fingers. a good Midwestern girl. <laughs> and, and my wife always says, every time I go to Costco or whatever, pick up more milk. But we, I just saw it, just pick up more milk. There, That way we always have enough. She understands the predictability. Like she gets it. Like that is an area that we we never have to worry about. Okay, we're out of milk. And now she loses her mind because it's bedtime and she doesn't get her <laughs> milk. Right. Like we've mitigated the, the, the predictable yeah. piece of what she's going to act like on a nightly basis. Now, mind you, this is a very small and almost pointless example, but the reality is, is like we're handling what's predictable in life. The one thing, and I know this is because one, I am and two I know a lot of them is the unpredictability of aviators. We are a fickle, goofy, silly bunch and the unpredictableness of who we are is what should be the most predictable part, and that's why I think the sixty-seven thing is tough to tack down too, because they did. We know the FAA; they didn't go out and poll every airline pilot who is over the age of sixty. Are you going to work to sixty-seven? They didn't poll them. No, no, nobody did. So no. this is just like a well. Maybe if we throw some spaghetti at the wall and it sticks then it's done correctly it's al dente and now we can go to town like
0: well exactly let's not pretend that appearances don't matter so you could argue that a lot of this has to do with the appearance of doing something about sure. the problem yeah
1: sure yeah well i guess joe that's like those are my that's my feel like to, besides the dampening effect of it like i think there's i think it it should highlight a much larger issue in the industry I would hope that all the airlines would look at increasing the incentives wages of everybody who works for all those companies to get better talent, higher qualified people, people that can gain experience faster. I know that sounds like an oxymoronic kind of a thing, but I think you I think you get my drift. I hope the the folks listening understand what I'm saying um because there's some people who can just pick stuff up faster than others whatever that might be right. they're normally highly talented but like if we can get better better talented more talented folks who are working the ramp working in the ops centers working in the scheduling places and all those like the training departments you know the admin folks and we can incentivize them and keep them around then maybe we can mitigate this issue from occurring again because recession coming or not whether you believe that or not or whatever the case is revenge travel is here man and i don't know if it's going anywhere like yeah people who have money now are probably going to have a little bit of money whether uh, during a recession like i don't think it's going to all of a sudden turn into a barren wasteland if nobody wants to fly anymore
0: doesn't seem that
1: way and maybe it will who knows i mean my crystal ball sucks but like if that's the case then we better be ready for this, like to continue for a very long time. And we should probably get the right personnel in there. Like I always thought air travel was kind of, it's not a distinctly American thing, obviously, but we really did nail it, like historically speaking. I mean, we were the leaders in the clubhouse when we first Mm -hmm. started all this. With Pan Am, and you can go watch there's a really cool documentary about Pan Am, which is basically the history of the airlines on pBS and I think it's on Amazon right now. it's really, really cool but um with that said, like, if you go back and you see that shining beacon of what we could do as uh, as a as a country in the form of traveling across the world, it's like we should continue to not not lead the world in it but we should shine like it should be something that should be counted on it should be you know the the airplanes run on time yes there's going to be there's going to be exceptions to that rule but airlines run or airplanes run on time and this is why because the money is there the 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 drive the innovation is there the, the desires to be there and i don't know if that's the case like i don't know if that we're ever going to get back there cuz they're 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 very large businesses and very large businesses tend to operate in a very different functionality you know than than people who are passionate about flying airplanes yeah I,
0: well, yeah and it's interesting too because you know we could really get deep into that idea because the way that airlines are funded and run across the world are very different than how they're funded and run here that's
1: a true statement
0: and, and so that definitely affects the money that gets spent in certain areas. I thought the point that you brought up about addressing the different departments and and areas within airlines was really interesting because there was a time and all you need to do, there was a time where those jobs were really great jobs for people. And all you have to do is find somebody who's been doing one of those jobs for 20 or 30 years. And they'll tell you, when I got hired at such and such a company as a gate agent, yeah, that was a career. Yeah. You you planned to work there till you retired, and it was a good retirement, and it was good pay and all of those things, um, good benefits and everything. Um, I remember talking to a um, a station manager, who uh, you know she she's a great station manager, and it's like one of our best stations. You know, every time you go there, things are running smooth everybody on the ramp is, is hustling and, and doing a really nice job. And everybody's courteous and friendly and we all work together and, you know, but she's been through a hard time cause she, you know, got hired by the, by the company, you know, a number of years ago, a couple of decades ago and then got contracted out to this company and then to that company and to another company. And, you know, four iterations later, she's the only one left and everybody she's working with is brand new and she still is successful, but it's because of that old, uh, it's, that, it's that knowledge, that institutional, we've been able to maintain some institutional knowledge at that station, for instance. And what you were talking about is the ability to keep people like that all across, not just any one company, but across the industry. And so I think that we've seen it swing one direction. We've seen it swing to race to the bottom in terms of pay and benefits and long, you know, job security and things. So in order for reliability to improve, we need to improve the operation in order for the operation to improve. Sorry, that's my dog there. Um, uh, in order, in order for all that to improve, we need to get good people into the, in, into important positions and keep them there plain and simple. Um, uh, back to the kind of on the pilot side of things with the age 67 rule. It's, it definitely is a dampening effect and maybe it's, you, I mean, I would even concede that maybe we should do it. I don't know. I think there's a good argument to be made that we, we shouldn't do it, but let's just pretend for a minute that, that bumping it to age 67 is the right thing to do. Well, it would only be the right thing to do if we also acknowledge the underlying reality of the actual problem. We have to ask ourselves, what's the problem we're really trying to fix? It's not keeping people flying till they're 67. It's the fact that we don't have as many people as we would like to have in the industry as pilots. And that the solution to that problem doesn't come from the top. It comes from the bottom. It comes from new people getting in and wanting to be a part of this profession. And you hit on the fact that a big problem with that has been you used to really have to pay your dues in order to maybe make it. And a lot of people didn't make it because of the age 65 rule. 2008 happening 9 11, all of these things that happened over kind of a decade. I mean, it really stunted the careers of thousands of pilots and we know that. And that's why there's a lot of fear around this issue. And I remember, you know, so ever since I've got into this industry and I'm sure you can agree, if you were to ask somebody, you know, should I get into flying or not the kind of stock answer would be, well, you have to want to do that more than anything in the world because you just don't know how it's all going to go and if you can imagine yourself doing anything else you should go do that otherwise you won't have what it takes to stick it out you'll want to get out of the industry because there's tough times ahead right mm-hmm. and that all is that we almost have like a romantic feeling about that right like well yeah we all should have that feeling but the reality is is that there are engineers and computer programmers and accountants and all kinds of people across this country who would make phenomenal pilots who aren't pilots because they didn't want to incur the financial risk that it took to get into the industry Mm -hmm. to maybe go to work for a 15 to twenty thousand a year job and then maybe someday you'll make a respectable living Mm -hmm. but in the meantime you've got a decade or a decade and a half worth of slugging it out and uh and trying to pay off all that debt so the solution has to come on the on the front end and how do we get people into the industry incentivize them and then deliver on those incentives because like you said there's a big trust issue right now yeah you know there's a big trust issue at that end of the industry so i think if we're going to do the age 67 thing it's probably i think it's probably going to happen um i'm not necessarily behind it but if we're going to do it let's at least be honest about what actually needs to happen to fix the issue we're facing, so we don't just kick the can down the road three months or six months or two years or whatever the optimum idea is at this point. Yeah, sure, man. So I think at this point we've gone uh, gone about as deep as, as as we can go, or as deep as I can go with with what I know at this point. Right? Yeah. Uh, there's any, a lot any to learn. Deeper still. than this, I'll be well out of my depth. So. Yeah.
1: There's a lot to. I think there's going to be a lot to learn, a lot to see. I think it's gonna. It's it's definitely. Uh, who was it? Neil Armstrong, um, who said after he landed, was it after he got back from the moon landing? Said, "Yeah, all the I've, I missed all the uh, the fascinating and innovative times in aviation, and um, I've said that throughout my career. And every time I look at it, I'm like, this is another fascinating, innovative. It's never happened before time, and I I tend to overlook how." I don't live presently enough to realize like, wow, this is really unique. Like this is a unique time in the industry of aviation. There's nothing coming on the horizon, I guess, technologically for, I mean, there are, but like, I don't see them. I'm not an engineer. I'm not, I'm not privy to that stuff, but like the industry is in a really unique time. And if you sit back and you don't get uh, huffed and puffed and angry about it, man, you can really see some unique and and, uh, sometimes very entertaining things about it. So um, try to sit back and enjoy it, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: That's all we can do. So, uh, well, this has been a fun conversation. I'm glad we got to do this and me too. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we can get together and uh, talk about some more. Uh, there's lots, lots of other current events going on that would be really exciting to chat about. So maybe we can do that again, uh, here soon.
1: It'd be my pleasure, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for, thanks for hosting me. That, that, that was fun. I, uh, I like it. Joe, uh, Joe Sacco, TPN correspondent pretty awesome
0: well thanks for letting me do it and uh to all our listeners uh thanks for listening
1: folks that was joe our newest correspondent in the tpn world if you're interested in doing something like that please hit matter eye up at thepilotnetwork.com you can write us an email at heyguys@thepilotnetwork.com as well we'll get back to you we're looking for correspondents. we're looking for people who want to share their stories interesting ideas about aviation joes the newest. We've got more on the on the way hopefully and we want to hear from you. So hit us up, find us on the socials again, hey guys at the or if you have something you want to chat about with the group, you can find us at TPN Pro TPN the Facebook group, all the other good stuff that's already out there. Again, thanks for listening. Love hearing from all of the TPN members. We look forward to seeing you in the skies soon. Fly safe everybody.